What up, Anchor? What up, Anchor listeners? What up, Spotify? What up, the whole entire world? I am Dre Wise, Dre Wise Conjurer. And today, the month is April, and the date is the 4th. The year is 2020. Today is Saturday, and the time is 7:22 p.m. I want to talk more about this virus of the uh, coronavirus. I want to talk more about it on this particular Anchor FM podcast show, and also Spotify link to it. Live stream, you catch that too. The ones that did not catch it, or we just on Spotify for that reason, you can uh, listen to it. Now, I want you guys to hear what these people are saying. I want you guys to understand and tune in, and you make the decision about all this. Basically, transgression and transpired global. I want the world to I want the world to tune in, and you got to make your decision, and you got to come to a conclusion about all this. But at the end of the day. This virus is basically setting us down to reflect on our behavior, but people are not going to do it because people are focused on money. That's it. So I want you to listen to this whole entire thing of the president, and I want you to realize and understand. Stay tuned here today on Anchor FM and Spotify. Dre Watts So stay tuned and listen. And I add my final thought on this and take it from here. Thank you. Here's the commercial. What up, Anchor? What up, Spotify? What up, the whole entire world? I am Dre Wise, Dre Wise, Dre Wise Conqueror. Follow me on my Facebook page. That is, you already know, Dre Wise Conqueror. Now, email me if you have any questions at Lucian Lucian. L-U-C-I-A-N Jarrell J-O-R-E-L at gmail.com or you can hit me up on my Facebook messenger of course Dre Wise Dre Wise count you donate 99 cent 99 cent 99 cent or more be a monthly subscriber donate to here or donate to my cash app that is dollar sign lucian lucian jarrell jarrell seven here on anchor fm anchor fm episode dre wise new york 
The number of deaths in New York has doubled in the past three days to nearly 3,000. Caitlin Collins is out front live near the White House to begin our coverage. Uh, and Caitlin, uh, in his uh, task force briefing tonight, the president was combative, uh, undermining guidance from the CDC on the face mask, right, saying go ahead and wear them even if they're non-medical, which is confusing in and of itself, but then saying he himself will not even be wearing any kind of a mask when it comes to just the mask issue alone. Yeah, Aaron, we knew there had been a lot of debate behind the scenes over whether or not to put out this guidance telling Americans when they're going out in public they should be covering their face in some manner. Obviously, the president said non-medical tonight because people were concerned that A, it could cause a run on an already low supply of masks, and B, that it could let people get too relaxed and not pay as much attention to those social distancing guidelines if they felt like they were protecting themselves. But then the president came out there and made some really notable remarks by really insisting that this was just voluntary guidance, saying it was not required and saying he himself is not going to follow it. So he seemed to undercut the fact that the CDC is now putting out this guidance, saying this is the best practice they think people should be following when they're leaving their homes. And it also comes, of course, after the Surgeon General himself gave people explicit instructions in early March saying do not buy masks. Tonight he said that was the best guidance they had at the time, saying that Americans didn't need to wear those masks. And of course, right now they're saying do not wear a medical mask, but you should if you can, if you want, according to the President, be covering your face in some manner. So it does seem to undercut that. And then, of course, the other thing the president was said was talking about these stay-at-home orders, really giving cover to those Republican governors and the other governors who have not yet ordered those stay-at-home orders. You saw Alabama was really one of the later ones tonight doing so, ordering that stay-at-home order. The president says he is leaving it up to the governors. They are going to be making the decisions, he says, not the federal government with any recommendations about that. And, you know, when you talk about sort of the mixed messaging, there's also, uh, I know, this confusion over, you know, whether the governor should do national stay-at-home orders. It's uh, obviously, you know, 6% of the population is not under them. But for those states, the president refusing to do, to, you know, instruct them to do so. Uh, this is something I know from your reporting, Caitlin. I believe Dr. Fauci had advocated that the president would do a national stay-at-home order. And then Dr. Fauci, uh, I understand just at the last minute, was not at the briefing. No, Dr. Fauci wasn't there. There are times when he's not always at these briefings. They tend to rotate some of the officials out. You saw someone we haven't seen in a long time, the CDC director on stage with the president. But just last night, Fauci was saying on CNN's town hall, he doesn't understand why there are states that haven't issued these stay-at-home orders. They believe this is the best guidance. Of course, they've made clear that every state needs to be following those social distancing guidelines they put out in order to flatten the curve. So he was saying he doesn't understand. The president did not offer that same amount of skepticism when he was asked about it. He really just said it's up to the states. He's not even going to make recommendations about it. Uh, so it's really notable. And the question, of course, is how long it takes for those states to eventually move into these stay-at-home orders if they ever do. And, of course, what are the consequences if they don't? All right. Thank you very much, Caitlin. And I want to go straight now to Dr. Sanjay Gupta. So, Sanjay, you know, with the, the point here that Caitlin was just talking about, you know, the president said he won't be wearing a mask because I guess it would be odd if he was across from a king or a queen wearing a mask, um, which, of course, is sending a message that, uh, you know, is not the message medical professionals want people to get about wearing masks. Um, so now they're saying the CDC recommend that you wear non-medical masks, which is confusing anyway, because if people think they need to wear masks, they're going to want to wear ones that work. And they were told that non-medical ones don't work. So there's that confusion. Uh, and then the president himself saying he won't do it. So what's the bottom line here? 
Well, you know, um, I, I think that, first of all, this is an evolving recommendation, and I think there's confusion even, uh, you know, among the CDC and, and how it's interacting with other health organizations. But I think, you know, what, what is really driving this, Aaron, now is this, this knowledge that people who, who don't have any symptoms at all who aren't coughing or sneezing or anything, can still you know, have the virus in their nose and mouth, and they can still spread the virus. So uh, the medical masks, like the N95 masks, for example, which have that airtight fill, uh, are really designed to sort of uh, protect you from getting the virus. With these cloth masks, uh, you know, these non-medical masks, it's more about uh, preventing you from spreading the virus. Now, it's not going to work perfectly because it's still, you know, it's not a medical grade mask. But the idea is that if you are, if you do carry the virus in your in your nose or mouth, it's going to yeah. make you less likely to put as much of the virus into the environment. It's not a perfect solution. I think they're really operating from this, you know, might help probably won't hurt sort of philosophy. Okay. I will say this, uh, maybe to your point, uh, Aaron, the, uh, the the head of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, got up and uh, made a few comments at the lectern. And I was watching that pretty closely. I think he was sort of lukewarm on this whole thing. You know, he I, I don't know if the CDC felt a little pressured to do this or, hmm. or not. Uh, up until yesterday, the CDC and the World Health Organization, and I've uh, asked them both about this, have said no. You know, nobody uh, really needs to be wearing a mask in public unless you're sick. You know, and in that case you shouldn't be out in public anyway so right it's it's evolving quickly and and just i guess to this point we've also known that this could spread asymptomatically for quite some time so i guess when people hear this they're saying all right we knew that and mm. but are you now saying that it can spread asymptomatically or just in general a lot more easily you know this whole comment that they've been making over the past day right. that uh, just by breathing uh you know has it suddenly become you know the are not that they call it in other words how many people a single person can infect is that mm. number suddenly much yeah, right. higher they think than we were told before that it's much more transmissible that's a great point, and I and I asked um, you know I again I asked Dr. Fauci about this specifically, and he said that you know he basically said no. I mean he said it, it mm. can be you know uh, can leave your nose and mouth even in people who are asymptomatic, but he seemed to suggest that the the distance that it would go would be even less than the six feet that they're sort of recommending. So he, he thinks that while this can be, you know, something that can drive spread, uh, that the primary driver of spread still was people who were symptomatic. So, you know, it is a, it is a caution, but it's not, not, not as big a deal, sort of. And, and the whole point about this letter that went out that said this can be spread through talking or just even breathing, you're absolutely right. That is what asymptomatic spread is. Uh, you know, if you're not coughing or sneezing, you're still spreading it. It's through these daily activities of, of, of just, you know, talking and breathing. So um, some of this was not surprising. I think what is surprising, Aaron, again, to your point, is that they're now reacting to it. They've known this for some time. They're now reacting to it. And uh, um, exactly why that got pushed like that, I'm not sure. So how much does presidential leadership matter on this? I mean, I just take this as a specific issue, right? Because when the president was asked specifically, when you know, he made the announcement about the masks, here's part of what he said, Sanjay. I just don't want to wear one myself. It's a recommendation. They recommend it. Uh, I'm feeling good. I won't be doing it personally. It's a recommendation. He has the benefit of anyone who comes around him now being taking a test. So I'll ask you about that in a moment. But I'm feeling good. You know, that the whole point is that people who are feeling good could be spreading it. President Xi of China, he wore a mask. And I understand it's culturally different um, there. However, how important is it that the president's sort of giving the impression of I'm, I'm 
I won't be doing it. I'm feeling good. You know, sort of, um, you know, it's kind of like a, like a macho thing. I mean, is that something that's going to negatively impact people doing it? It might. I mean, you know, obviously there's an example that's set at the top. I, I, I will say two things. One is that um, it's interesting because, you know, he has been tested a couple of times and he is negative. He, you know, he was, uh, I guess right. just yesterday he was tested. The, the presumption with this is for people who have not been tested but are asymptomatic, they could still be spreading the virus. If you're negative, then, you know, and this is really for you not to spread the virus, one could argue that you really don't need to do it. The other thing is right. that this is for in, in, in public, you know, so if you're able to keep social distance, like I wouldn't wear a mask in my own house, you know, because I'm you know, able to maintain some social distance. And obviously I'm living with people. Um, but uh, if I was out in public and I could not maintain social distance, that would sort of be the time to do it. So I think, you know, people are going to uh, uh, approach this, you know, differently. It is a voluntary recommendation for sure. Right. But, you're, but you make a good point. I mean, look, if we're going to set an example and we need to flatten the curve, decrease the spread uh, of this and this is now a recommendation, then, you know, we, we should be honest about it and diligent about it. So now to this point that you mentioned about the president being negative, and he did mention again that he had had another test, which isn't surprising, right? And he said he got the results back in, uh, what, 13 minutes or something like that. And the White House now says tonight that they're going to be giving those same rapid tests to anybody who is going to be coming in close contact with either the president right. or Vice President uh, Pence. Uh, they, their, their reasoning is that they want to evaluate for pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic carriers uh, to, uh, to limit inadvertent transmission. I mean, it seems like this makes sense, but what's your take on that? You know, it's it's really interesting. You may, you may remember some time ago, Aaron, uh, the president, uh, before he uh, made that trip to the CDC, it was scheduled, then they took it off his schedule, and the reason they took it off his schedule at that time was because somebody at the CDC had tested positive, and I remember thinking at that point, I think we even discussed that night, that is this going to become a thing? Is this going to become a thing where everyone around him is going to need to be tested and proven to be negative before interacting with the president? And it seemed a little far-fetched at that time because we didn't have enough tests, they take a while to get back. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that this is a, a sustainable sort of strategy, you know, I mean, it's not, and also, you know, you do have surfaces that people touch. I noticed him with his hands on the lectern several times during the comments he just mm -hmm. made. Other people came up, put their hands on the lectern. There's all these different ways that people could uh, could potentially spread the virus, and, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult thing to say, by testing every single person, I'm going to guarantee that I will never, uh, you know, get the infection. I'm not sure they can say that, and, and how sustainable it will be in a week or two or three weeks from now. So the president also tonight said that it is up to the governors to decide on stay-at-home orders, and he will not do a national one. Ninety-four percent of the U.S. population is, of course, under one because of their states, but uh, there are states that don't have one. That's six percent of the population. Uh, should he make this now a national mandate? Yes, he, he should. I mean, you know, look, I, I, people need to say that, and they need to be unequivocal about that. I mean, all the modeling that we've talked about, and there's some dire projections in terms of uh, the, the, the number of people who could die here, are based on the fact that the entire country, you know, every state has these stay-at-home orders. It, they, people are, you know, these are grim numbers already, but they, people don't always realize that if we're not even there yet, we're not even where we should be in order to get to the numbers that we're talking about, the number of people who could die get 
really sick by this could be higher because there are states around the country that are not doing this. And by the way, it's not just for the people in those states. It's for the people in those regions. People can, uh, you know, this obviously is a very contagious virus. But also, look, we have a certain amount of resources in terms of hospital beds, ICU beds, ventilators. We've been saying that for, you know, three months now, Aaron. If a state suddenly turns into a hot spot, knowing full well that the country doesn't have enough of these supplies, enough of these resources, what are they going to do? What is their plan at this point? We know what we're dealing with in terms of a finite number yeah. of resources. So they're, 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 they're gambling at this point. They're, they're gambling and hoping that they don't turn on one of these hotspots. And, and, and what they're gambling with is a very contagious lethal virus. All right, Sanjay, thank you very much. And next, President Trump uh, deflecting blame for the lack of medical supplies in the national stockpile. He tells states they are on their own. Ohio's governor responds next. Plus a 42-year-old from the Surgeon General there to make sure that as people are, are adhering to these new guidelines, or at least trying to follow these new guidelines, that they don't infect themselves in the process. Uh, and I, I, I think that that bears repeating as well, Wolf. And when the president said, yeah, it's a, you know, if you want to go have some face coverings, you want to have a mask, go ahead and wear it. I'm not going to wear it because I don't think the president of the United States, for example, sitting in the Oval Office meeting with world leaders should be wearing a mask. Uh, he did, he yeah. did say that as well. And, and I think that is going to be one of those areas where, you know, he is going to come under some criticism. Why should the CDC, why should these officials come out and start recommending to Americans that they have face coverings and so on? And then the president sort of undercut that and say, well, I'm not going to to wear a mask as if to say to their, you know, to people out there, uh, perhaps you don't need to take this as seriously. One of the problems that we've seen all along throughout all of this, Wolf, as you know, we've highlighted this time and again, is that the officials, the experts say one thing, and sometimes the president says something else. And it was almost it was almost in the same breath where he's recommending that people have face coverings, and at the same time, he's saying he's not going to do it himself. And so it's one of those conflicting messages that we've been cataloging throughout this entire crisis. Wolf. And it was interesting, he specifically disagreed with Dr. Fauci on a national stay-at-home order, right. I thought that was significant as well. All right, Jim Acosta, thanks as usual for joining us to our viewers. Thanks for... Facilities, that would be a little bit of a breather from, you know, then you just have to worry about groceries. When am I going to be able to make a living? Pay my bills? Will some businesses not survive this? Or, or you know, there'll be thousands of people trying to find jobs if some businesses close due to this. So it's really scary. Many Americans hurting tonight. That is Alicia Rivera in her own words. Here is where we stand this evening on the virus. As we told you at the top of the hour, the CDC making a major announcement telling Americans to wear masks in public. New York State records its highest single day death toll, 562 since this crisis began. And Delta seeing its revenue falling 90 percent. In the second quarter, as Phil LeBeau was reporting, we do have breaking news tonight from Washington, where the president just spoke about his battle today with 3M over the production of masks. Also in the news conference this evening, reimbursement for hospitals treating coronavirus victims who don't have health insurance. Our Eamon Javers covering both stories tonight from Washington. Eamon? Yeah, Scott, and that hospital announcement could be something that's really reassuring to a lot of Americans without insurance. The president saying tonight in the briefing room that the U.S. government is going to pick up the tab for those people who are being treated with coronavirus symptoms in hospitals across the country. They're going to do that out of a $100 billion fund that was in the latest so-called CARES Act, the big stimulus bill that passed last week. That The president saying that ultimately he doesn't want Americans to feel uh, that they can't get the uh, health care that they need at this time. 
Meanwhile, as you say, that fight continuing to go on between 3M and the United States government and the Trump administration over whether or not 3M is doing enough, as the government says it's not, to provide health equipment to Americans. Here's the back and forth that took place in, today, in part on CNBC, between Mike Roman, the CEO of 3M, and the president of the United States in the briefing. Take a listen. The idea that 3M is not doing all it can to fight price gouging and unauthorized reselling is absurd. Uh, the narrative that we are not doing everything we can to maximize delivery of respirators in our home country, nothing could be further from the truth. We are doing everything we can to maximize our efforts and to fight COVID-19 and to support the healthcare workers here at home in the U.S. I don't blame them. They can push back yeah. if they want. We're not right happy with 3M. Yeah. not happy. And the people that dealt with it directly are not at all happy with 3M. So we'll see whether or not we do. I heard what he had to say today. I don't know the gentleman, but we're not happy with 3M. And Scott, that war of words continues tonight in The New York Times in an article that was just updated at 7 p.m. Peter Navarro, the White House trade advisor, has blistering criticism for 3M. Listen to what he says. He says, all we get from the CEO on down to the head of their PR department is lie upon lie. The latest of which, which is dead wrong, is that we demanded 3M not send production from its U.S. plants to our friends and allies in Canada and Mexico. That is the blistering criticism from Peter Navarro tonight of 3M. So that war of words continues into the weekend, Scott, and we'll see where we land on Monday. Back over to you. Eamon, we appreciate it very much. That's Eamon Javers reporting for us tonight. Professor James E. Baker of Syracuse University's College of Law has researched the Defense Production Act and says the president has a lot more power than he's using. He's with us tonight. Sir, it's good to have you here. Who is in the right here? Is it the president or is it 3M? Well, thank you, Scott. I, I think the question presented for me as a national security specialist and lawyer is not who is right or wrong in the 3M dispute, but how can the federal government best use the authority it has to mobilize the nation to fight the COVID-19 virus? And I worry that focus on a particular aspect of one contract or another will distract us from the most important message, which is the federal government should use all the authority it possesses to mobilize the nation. And it happens that there is a law, the, the Defense Production Act, that gives the federal government all the authority it needs. Now, what happens with the 3M dispute is it focuses all the attention on just one provision of the Defense Production Act at the expense of the others. Would you mind if I outlined what those authorities are? Nope. There are four authorities that should be brought to bear immediately now so we can close the gap between what the governors are saying they need and what the current rate of supply is. There is the prioritization authority, as you know, and as 3M well knows, which allows the government to step in and say, we want you to prioritize this contract over that contract or the other one. It happens that the Defense Department uses this authority some 300,000 times a year so it's not a particularly extraordinary authority in that regard. But here are the other authorities that we must not lose sight of. There's the allocation authority. This allows the federal government to step in and allocate equipment and supplies across the country between states, for example, so states don't have to compete with each other in the marketplace for the same ventilator. 
This would allow the federal government to allocate based on public health need, not market mechanisms. In addition, if there happens to be a raw material that is scarce and needed for masks, mm -hmm. the masks we're all going to be wearing now, the federal government can step in and make sure that that material goes to this factory rather than that factory. I understand, but let me ask you a question. Let me, let me ask you a question, and forgive me for interrupting. Sure. Should a U.S.-based company in a crisis like this be exporting any of its product outside of the United States, regardless who our allies are at whatever time. This is a national emergency in the United States. Should 3M be shipping any of their masks outside to Canada or Latin America? Well, that's why I want to look at it holistically, because I, am, I can't answer that question until we step back and look at the greater whole. The question is, not whether China should have masks or Canada should have masks and not the United States. Well, should the government have, hey, the, should the, government have the authority to tell 3M all of your masks produced in the United States need to stay in the United States right now because this is a national emergency? Or should a private enterprise have the right to say, we are keeping our agreements because we think that it could hurt the U.S. in the long run if there's re retaliation. That's the point I need to get to, and then I, I'm, I'm afraid I have to go. Sure. Well, the, the question is, the authority is there, but the goal here should be to make sure all health, all health workers have masks, not just American health workers. A pandemic, pandemic is necessarily a global emergency, not just a New York emergency, not just a U.S. emergency. The Defense Production Act would allow the government to incentivize more American companies to step in and build these masks. That's exactly what the government should be doing now. Professor? Not beating up 3M, but getting more people, more companies to build masks and start tooling up for the vaccine to come. Mr. Baker, That's what I'm about. I, I appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much. That's James E. Baker joining us. Up next, the path forward. Three. Not be short. It will not be without pain. For America's individual business owners, the challenge is already well underway. From finding money, paying rent, to taking care of employees, and now, the stress of getting much-needed loans from a government program designed to keep these businesses alive. Tonight, business owners tell us their stories and problems. And the prophet, Marcus Limonis, tries to help them find the path forward. Once again, here's Scott Wapner. Good to have you back with us tonight. The Small Business Administration's stimulus loan program got off the ground today. It has not been a smooth liftoff, however. Our Kayla Tausche in Washington following that story for us. Kayla, good evening. Good evening, Scott. Most small businesses lining up to get this money are still waiting after a spotty rollout that will see most major banks not able to offer these loans until at some point in the middle of next week. For companies with fewer than 500 employees, they've received about $3.5 billion in payroll loans today. That's 1% of the amount allocated. Bank of America alone received applications for $22 billion, but came under fire for servicing only longtime borrowers. Chase's website 
website crashed upon launch, and Wells Fargo, PNC, and Citigroup say they need more time. Many communities were left frustrated, too. Farmers Bank and Trust on the Texas-Arkansas border was not a preferred SBA lender and worries that the money will run out before it can even access the site. Dave White runs the loan program there and emails me this evening to say this. Our bank estimates 35 to $45 million in requests to small businesses that desperately need it. Until SBA gives the Main Street banks the ability to get a username and password to access the portal easily, the rank-and-file population see this as a big bank-type grab, and the local small banks are all at fault. I have never felt more defeated as a banking professional in my life. Executives say a program like this would normally take about a year to get off the ground, but the urgency of this need necessitated the seven-day turnaround. President Trump, for his part tonight, says he thinks the rollout was a success. More than $3.5 billion in guaranteed loans have been processed to help small businesses keep their workers employed. Our banking partners are really incredible. And they're ensuring that the money gets to small businesses as quickly as possible. And then the small business, in turn, take care of employees that they would have had to let go. And now they'll keep them. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today on CNBC started talking about a fourth emergency relief package. She said that this amount that has been provided is just a down payment and that it's clear small businesses need more. Scott? Kayla, we appreciate it. Kayla Tausche from Washington for us tonight. Let's bring in now Camping World Chairman and CEO and the host of CNBC's The Profit and the owner of dozens of businesses, Marcus Limonis. Marcus, it's good to see you again. How are you, Scott? I'm well, thank you. Hardly a smooth liftoff, though, as we said for this program. Your reaction to how we've started here? You know, I, I, I'm going to be on the other side of this, probably and surprise some people. I think the fact that three and a half billion dollars moved in a week is a pretty big deal. And I spoke to a lot of big banks and a lot of small banks today and unfortunately a lot of business owners who are upset. And the architecture to actually execute all of this is a lot harder than people would think. We don't want money just flowing out as fast as it possibly can. I think the big banks want to make sure that they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. And I don't blame them for that. They don't want to get hung with anything. Did it go off, uh, you know, smoothly? No. But did three and a half billion dollars still get processed? Yes. And I would expect that over the weekend, the banks will have a chance to catch up. Come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're going to see a lot more money flow. And here's what I would ask small businesses today. Uh, until you get the money in your account, stop writing checks. And I, I had a couple of businesses today tell me that they wrote checks and now they don't know if they're going to clear. So the message is everybody needs to be patient. This is seven days that this has actually gone down. The money's going to come but it's not going to come in five minutes. You mentioned the challenges that exist. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce did a survey, Marcus, said one quarter of small businesses have already closed. Another 40 percent say it's likely they'd have to close in the next two weeks. Another poll suggested that half of all small businesses didn't pay rent on April 1st, on Monday of this week. That tells you how dire the situation is and how badly these businesses and these business owners need money. Yeah, let me start with the last point you made, which is a lot of small businesses didn't pay rent. I would bet that a lot of medium and big businesses did also skip paying rent this week because they're trying to preserve cash. When we talk about the businesses that have closed, while it's awful, we want to remember that a lot of businesses have closed because of shelter in place or they were restaurants and bars. And so as these facts and figures roll out, 
We want to get a deeper understanding of what's actually happening. Yes, businesses are closed, employees are laid off. And what I'm asking business owners to do today in this moment between now and the time they get their SBA money is let's walk our employees who are furloughed, who have been laid off through the process so they can get all of their money. It isn't just about the business owner getting their money. We want to make sure these employees that unfortunately got laid off are able to go through the CARES Act, get their unemployment checks processed, get their $1,200 processed. And I think we got to just take a pause and make sure we're taking care of the employees first and not and not losing sight of that. And lastly, yes, you are the prophet. But as we said, you are the chairman and CEO of Camping World. Did I see a tweet of yours today that said you offered campers to New York City and that you haven't heard back? So we have actually sold close to 700 units across the country. California took about 560 in getting a lot of requests from friends and, and, and business associates in New York. Uh, I reached out through Twitter offering up to 200 units uh, at no charge for the city to use them. I did hear back about an hour ago uh, from people from the mayor's office and the governor's office that they don't need them yet. But they appreciated the fact that they know that with a phone call, we can deploy these RVs into Manhattan and uh, people, at least the volunteers and the uh, first responders will have a chance to rest, eat, sleep, do whatever they need to say. We want to be there for everybody right now. Nice of you to do that and glad to hear that uh, you did hear back, uh, even if it was just uh, recently. Thank you very much. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with Marcus Limonis because up next, we're bringing in three American business owners, all applying for loans today. Their experiences. What up, Anchor? What up, Spotify? What up, the whole entire world? I am Dre Wise, Dre Wise, Dre Wise Conqueror. Follow me on my Facebook page. That is, you already know, Dre Wise Conqueror. Now, email me if you have any questions at Lucian, Lucian. Or you can hit me up on my Facebook Messenger course, Trey Wise, Trey Wise Donate 99 cent, 99 cent, 99 cent, or more be enough to subscribe. Donate to here or donate to my cash That is dollar sign, Lucian, Lucian, Jarrell, Jarrell. Here on Anchor FM, Anchor FM episode, Drainwise. Marcus Lamonis. Marcus, it's yours. Thank you, Scott. Uh, for the three of you that are out there, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I know that it's been probably a frustrating week and definitely a frustrating day. Uh, We've heard from everybody. The one thing we're not going to do is avoid manners in this moment. And so, Ashley, I'd like to talk to you first about what's happening in your business and tell me a little bit about the frustrations you had today. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, You know, the first 
week, I had to lay off my entire team, my six girls, my employees, and cut down their part-time hours. So that was the first frustrating part of all of this for me and having to close down my store. Um, and, you know, we've been pivoting to find different ways to have, you know, our sales that we were usually used to. Um, but now it's applying for the loans. The loans haven't really worked out for us so far, but fingers crossed. <laughs> Well, I want you to be a little more optimistic about the loans. I spoke to senior folks at Chase later this afternoon, earlier this afternoon, and they're very confident that the system glitches are going to get worked out. So I'm confident that if you've put all your information right, you're going to get the loan that, quite frankly, you deserve. In terms of pivoting, I noticed that you're doing a lot on Instagram. And what advice are you giving other business owners about how they have to reinvent themselves in this moment to try to find some source of revenue and then most importantly, what are you doing to help your employees bridge the gap between now and you know, when they come back uh, in the future? Sure. Um, I mean, right now, social media has been a really great platform for us. Um, it's really opened my eyes to just think of the future as well, of all the ways we can really connect with clients, not only locally, but across the U.S. Now we've we've started to um, offer virtual makeup classes where women can take 45 minutes to an hour just to connect with us and learn how to do their makeup. I mean, feeling good during this time can definitely help. And so I've really been focusing on doing a lot of virtual consultations um, and just connecting with our clients that way. Um, I'm I'm really guiding my, my team to really just work on their social media, connect with our clients, um, do the makeup classes. And it's helping us stay sane, I think, through all of this and to keep our eye on the prize, because when we get back, you know, we're really looking forward to being around our customers again. The one thing that I'm going to tell you and I'll tell Alex and Eric uh, all together now is that there is a lot of information out there uh, for employees um, in terms of how they're going to collect unemployment and what the money is going to be and how all the money is going to flow to them. And I would encourage all of you to use this weekend and, and, and almost every day, actually, to try to figure out how to show them the roadmap. In fact, I'll post something tonight on my Twitter account that gives you a really basic example of what kinds of things they can be doing, because the same way you're trying to apply for a loan from a bank, those folks are also looking for sources of income. In terms of how you're operating your business today, I'll give you a couple pieces of advice. Number one, I want you to hold on to as much cash as you can and really make sure that you make the right decisions about what you're paying first versus second. And the second thing is when the money does come in from your bank, I want you to be very thoughtful. I want to remind you that it's a loan. It's not a gift. And there's ways to, to make that loan disappear over time. But there is a, the severity or the fact that it is a loan and you do have to have um, a plan. Have you thought about what you're going to spend the money on? Um, I mean, luckily with my landlord, they've been willing to, you know, they, they said to me, we're in this all together. So that was really, really nice to hear. So um, I think I need to really go down the list of what priority bills I have is really what I was planning on doing and prioritizing what should be paid off first. Um, I obviously need to keep and it for me. Yeah. And I'd like you to do that sooner than later. I don't want you to wait until you get the money. I want you to go in with a real solid plan of this is how much I'm applying for. I would back that off by 10 or 15%. Who knows what's going to happen here and really understand how that money's going to flow, okay? Yeah, that sounds great. And I want you to keep your head up. It's, it's, we're all going to get through this. What you provide is beauty, and all of us guys want women to stay beautiful and um, just be confident that everything's going to work out here. You just got to hunker down for a minute. Okay, let's move over to Eric. 
Um, we were just, Ashley and I were just talking about landlords. You're actually playing two roles in this economy. One is a landlord, one is a business owner. What's happened since the last time you and I talked? So, Marcus, to your point earlier, the breadth and the depth of this is enormous what's happening. I mean, the SBA process is normally $28 million a year in SBA loans, and they're about to do $350 billion, I'm sorry, $28 billion uh, in a year, and they're going to do $350 billion it's in 90 days, and it's probably going to happen in a lot less than that. It's just insane to imagine how that's going to happen. Um, so in talking to tenants this morning, all morning, all day on the, on the phone with tenants, you're right, April 1st has come and gone, and some tenants have actually paid. Uh, some tenants we've made arrangements with, and some tenants have not paid in, in some of my uh, particular real estate. Uh, on the flip side, I've talked to uh, landlords and colleagues of mine, some of whom I'm tenants with myself, and what are the arrangements? You know, And I, I ran a payroll this week. I ran a payroll for one of my companies. You know, We kept everybody on. We're trying to do the right thing to make sure we are properly uh, have our ducks aligned for the, for the right processing of the PPP loan. Uh, it, but it, it's hard. It's hard to watch that go out when, when you see zeros all across You know, when, when you look at what's happening in the bank account. Uh, it's challenging on both sides. And, and the stories are all identical. Everyone has been diligent. They're trying to get these loans. So it's not like people are sitting on their hands. Everyone I have spoken to, all of us have done all the proper and appropriate things. The challenge is, is the regulations are shifting, as you know, as of last night at 8.30, another regulation change from the SBA. So the banks are kind of like, hey, sorry, but, and we're working on this. Here's the application again, refill it out. One or two things have changed, but you got to just roll with those punches. As a business owner, you have to just follow the, and toe the line that they're, they're throwing out to you. Yeah, and I think the most important thing is, and people aren't going to like it when I say this, the banks are not the enemy in this process right now. They're trying to facilitate these SBA loans, and they're operating from the same playbook that you and I are, which is no playbook. And they're being asked to process loans with a single piece of paper application, and I think that they keep some regulatory process involved, some, some validation process involved so that everybody isn't scammed through this process. I'm worried that there are going to be a portion of people who have either closed or about to recently close that may gain the system. So the fact that the banks are taking an extra day or two to put the bells and whistles and the suspenders around everything, I'm not as upset as some other people are. I don't know if you necessarily agree or disagree with that. I 100% agree with you. Right before we, we got on this segment tonight, uh, again, I was on the phone with, with close banker friends of mine that are, that are doing these loans. These are guys that are on the other side. They're working for these community banks, and some of them are doing uh, larger-scale banking. And the same thing was, hey, Eric, listen, we just, we just don't know what's going on. We're all in uncharted waters, but we've never done a loan, especially an SBA loan, and not had a tremendous amount of documentation. And I personally have been through quite a few SBA loans since you know, I started in business. And they are in, that process is insanely long, especially for an impatient person. And at a time like this, what they're trying to do in such a short period of time, I, I, I frankly, Marks, I don't know how they're going to do it. It's, it's a, if they pull it off, and I'm, and I'm rooting positive that they are, but there is going to be some scrupulous people that may take advantage of this process. These banks don't want to get caught in the middle, and I understand that because they're a business also. So everyone has to do their diligence, including these bankers that are going to be helping us next week. And that's really the line is, hey, we're going we're to be doing this next week. It looks like middle of the week next week is the day I'm here and Wednesday, Thursday. A lot of the banks I'm talking to, you know, the TD Bank, the Center State Bank, the community banks, they're going to start hammering away at this in the middle of the week next. That this process requires respect, and it requires everybody to go through this process. And so when I hear about business owners or sending nasty emails, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to see any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> People are, are trying to make this work for everybody, 
And and as you think about it, we're all struggling right now. And let's go to Alex. Alex, uh, we know you own restaurants all over the country. Can you give us a synopsis of where your restaurants are located? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Marcus. So we're uh, located predominantly in Maryland. Um, we're also in Texas and Florida. And we're currently, we have 15 properties, 14 are out of operation, and uh, one is still currently in operation. And Alex, are you doing any takeout business, or did you say your 14 restaurants are actually closed completely? 14 out of the 15 are closed. We have one uh, that was a diner-type carryout business uh, that was doing carryout before, so we kept that model. Um, it's been very tough. We, we never tried the takeout model, but it was just, in our belief, not sustainable. Um, and you're seeing restaurants all over the country that started to do that, uh, now going away from it. Um, it's just a tough model for the fine dining business. How many employees did you have to furlough? We furloughed 1,000 employees uh, on, uh, it was Monday, March 16th. Um, and it's just been absolutely devastating. Yeah. Can you walk me through what you're doing as part of this SBA loan process? I'm not going to ask you for any of your numbers. I know you have a very big business. Can you walk me through how you approached it, how you looked at it, and, and ways that you think it could potentially benefit you in the long run? Sure. So um, the first thing we've done recently is we put all of our PPP applications in today. Um, we think that uh, that'll cover, hopefully, uh, eight weeks uh, of payroll for our Atlas family and extended furlough uh, employees. Um, but once again, uh, there's just a lot of unknowns. The guidance uh, changed all day today and, and last night. Um, we got all of our, our paperwork in this afternoon, but there's just a lot of unknowns right now. So we're going for that, yeah. and uh, we're going for a few SBA loans to uh, basically help us with startup expenses so we can get to the other side of this thing. I know, Scott, you've been hearing stories all day from people about this. And that's where I, I really wanted to pick up. Um, you know, the restaurant business, Alex, is a, is a tough business even in good times. You have a lot of restaurants. I'm just wondering how you envision the other side of this, whether 15 becomes 7 or if you're confident that on the other side of this, with these loans and other things that you may be able to do, that you'll still be intact fully. So good question. Um, you know, we were in a position where we were fortunate. Uh, all of our properties made money uh, before this crisis. So our number one priority is first taking care of our family members. Um, and by that, I mean my 1,000 people we furloughed. Our goal is to figure out a way to get them through this uh, to make sure they're compensated somehow. And PPP has been great. Um, and then take care of our core team members who can basically see us through this. And that way, when, you know, our governors and, and, and the various states that we're in say go, um, those team members that are, that are still with us today can get everybody back up and running and we can get this engine started again. Alex, one nuance, and I guess this applies for everybody, one nuance that I would encourage everybody to look at is we know that the employees that are furloughed have an opportunity to go collect some benefits, a, a heightened unemployment amount, they're going to get a check for hopefully $1,200 or more based on their family scenario. One of the things that I've been talking to people about when they get this money, not before, but when they get this money, is to potentially allocate a portion of it to give uh, those employees with the deepest, most dire hardships advances. Give them a chance if they've been with you four, five, six, ten years and you know they're good for it to use some of that money as advances. And I know that that may not be a popular idea right now, but if, if they're going to collect unemployment benefits and they need extra cash, 
Has anybody, any of the three of you, maybe Ashley or anybody else, thought about this idea of using some of that money, a very small amount, to give them advances to get them to the other side? Yeah, it's something I've thought about for sure. And, and how, how would you approach that in your particular business? Do you mind talking about that? Sure. Um, I mean, the girls, um, there's a few that have worked for me for a long period of time. So um, we've already had a little bit of a discussion on ways that I could help them. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about. You know, I don't know the actual details of it, but I know that, you know, they're they're my my girls have worked with me for the last six years of me opening my business. I can't imagine what they're going through. I know I'm going through a lot and, you know, we're a family. So whatever I can do to right. keep them. You know, and I, I want them to come back. I want them to come back to my shop. So if I can help them Absolutely. in any way. Yeah. Well, for all three of you, thank you for joining me tonight. And for every other small business in America, I know we'll get through this. This loan process seems frustrating today. It won't in a couple of weeks. And we're just going to have to hold on and make those sacrifices. And we know that America is going to show up again in our businesses and support us. So thank you. surgical masks because those should be left for first responders. The president made this announcement this evening, and at the very moment he made the announcement, he also undercut it by informing the world that he himself would not be following the CDC recommendation. The president repeatedly pointed out this recommendation is voluntary, but he added, I don't think I'm going to do it. He also said more definitively that he, quote, won't be doing it personally. The other thing the president will not be doing is telling the remaining governors who have not issued state, statewide stay-at-home orders to issue them. The president saying it's up to the governors and claiming that the states in question, quote, are not in jeopardy. That is not a comment based on science or reality. Last night, Dr. Anthony Fauci appeared on the CNN Global Town Hall, said all states should have stay-at-home orders in place. Bill Gates had said the same thing on our town hall a week ago. Alabama and Missouri are the latest to announce such orders, which is quite an about-face for Alabama, because just last week, that state, state's governor, Kay Ivey, dismissed the need for one, saying, quote, we are not Louisiana, we are not New York State, and we are not California. Well, she's wrong. According to Johns Hopkins University data, the per capita rate of cases in Alabama is the same as it is in California. California's governor, though, announced their stay-in-place order more than two weeks before Governor Ivey did. Currently, eight states don't have statewide orders. Arkansas, Iowa, North Dakota, Nebraska, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, and Wyoming. Today, Illinois the Illinois governor was asked about the uh, difficulties of getting supplies and testing, and his answer could apply to much of what we heard from the White House today. Quoting Governor J.B. Pritzker, there's no federal plan for this, so every state is on their own. As I've said, it's the Wild West out here. According to Johns Hopkins University, there are now at least 273,997 cases of coronavirus in the U.S., and 7,078 people have died. Joining me is CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who also hosts the Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction podcast, and CNN medical analyst, Dr. Selene Gounder, a clinical assistant professor at NYU Medical School. So, Sanjay, let's talk about these CDC guidelines now on masks. Um, a source is telling CNN that the CDC felt pressured to draft the guidelines and would not have made the recommendation if not for the White House. Clearly, the president... Uh, has reiterated repeatedly while announcing these that they're voluntary and that he's not going to do it. Should people wear some sort of face cover? 
Well, this is a significant change. I mean, there's no question. And, uh, you know, the CDC and the World Health Organization up until yesterday, and you and I talked to, uh, you know, uh, doctors from the World Health Organization yesterday, we're not recommending people wear these face masks in public. But, you know, we started to, to hear quite a bit, as you know, from people, including Dr. Fauci, that they were uh, likely to lean into this um, because uh, the, of the evidence that has been out there for some time that you can spread this virus uh, even if you don't have symptoms, even if you're not coughing or sneezing. So the idea that these would not be the medical-grade face masks, but rather some sort of cloth mask to basically uh, protect others from you, I think is really where this where this came from. But it is confusing, admittedly, Henderson. I mean, even, even among, I think, the coronavirus task force, should you wear it, should you not wear it? Um, I think that the two big things are it should not take away from hospital workers, and it should not replace social distancing. I mean, you shouldn't be going out in public anyway unless you absolutely have to. Uh, Dr. Gander, I'm wondering what you make of it. Uh, you know, one of the things that Governor Cuomo has said is, look, it probably can't do any harm as long as it doesn't make you feel that suddenly you can go out and interact with people and not obey the, the six feet or distance and, and, uh, and all the other guidelines. I think an easy way to think about it, Anderson, is if you think about this is a hose that is spraying out something and you put something here, which is essentially what you're doing with a cloth face mask on the source of infection, that actually works really well in terms of preventing spread to other people. But when you talk about, I am then gonna wear that to protect myself out here, you know, that doesn't work so well. And, and so the, the recommendation is really about preventing spread from you who may not even realize you have infection, that you may be a carrier to other people. So it's to protect, you know, the lady at the checkout counter at, at the grocery store from you. Um, so I, I think it's really important to, for people to understand the reason this is being recommended is because only now are we fully realizing how many people may not know that they are carriers and may be spreading to others. And it's not to make you feel guilty that maybe you made somebody else sick. We didn't know. But now that we understand that, please help us by protecting everybody else. Um, so, uh, so, uh, Doctors, if you will just stay there, I also want to bring in CNN's Jim Acosta. Uh, Jim, also today, no, still no national stay-at-home order from right. the president. Uh, I was surprised to hear the president say that, that the states that don't currently have them that, uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but essentially they're not in jeopardy. Right, and, and I think that the president has essentially been responding in this way all along. He said once again this evening at the task force briefing that he's going to leave it up to these individual governors to decide what they want to do. And I talked to a senior White House official about this earlier today. Why is the president reluctant to go out to the nation and say, we want every state to issue stay-at-home uh, orders or stay-at-home recommendations? And this official said, well, our current guidelines are, are kind of implying that. Well, it's just not the same thing, and it's obviously uh, not as far as where Dr. Fauci went with you and Sanjay last night when he said he thinks every state in the country uh, should be doing this. This should be a nationwide thing, everybody pulling together. And even when the president has been pressed, well, what about this governor down in Florida or that governor uh, in this other state? Why aren't they doing this? Uh, some of these states are now catching on and doing it themselves. Uh, the president has praised some of these governors uh, who have not taken these kinds of steps. And so it's a real mixed message from the White House, one of several we're tracking. It's so interesting, uh, Sanjay, because, you know, the president yesterday when they when they introduced the, the or maybe it was two days ago when they introduced, you know, the 100,000 to 240,000 likely deaths um, with 
current social distancing uh, efforts underway, the president seemed to sort of embrace those and believe those, and yet he's not even willing to just publicly say, I think all the governors should do this, even if he's not ordering them to or telling them directly to. He just, he says, I mean, it's, it's just contradictory, his logic on this. He should he should directly tell them to. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite striking to me that, I mean, I feel like there's been a slow roll through this entire process, despite the fact that uh, data and, and I know the, the guidance public health officials have been giving him has been really clear. I mean, even before the 15-day pause, I think it was clear that at the end of those 15 days, it would need to be extended. And even now, you know, they say it's until April 30th, but the very models, Anderson, that you're, you're talking about actually are based on the idea that it would, uh, that the uh, social distancing guidelines and the, and the uh, stay-at-home orders would, would last until the end of May. So it, it's, it's kind of, it's really strange, I think, you know, to sort of look at this, this, this dance that's going on between science and policy. The science is there. Obviously, you have these renowned people like Dr. Anthony Fauci who know this. I'm not sure if this is to just not shock the country and to sort of, you know, ease the country into it or, or what it is exactly. But it's, it's, it is a bit bewildering. We know what needs to be done. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm pretty confident of it. Even if, even if it seems like it's kicking and screaming, it's going to happen. But why, why not just do it? I, I, uh, I'm still not sure I fully understand that. Yeah, Dr. Gander, I mean, does it, is there any scientific, does it make any scientific sense not to be telling South Carolina or Iowa uh, that, they should have these stay-at-home orders in, in place. I mean, is there any scientific validity to the president saying, well, those places aren't in jeopardy? Well, here's the thing. They're not in jeopardy yet. And the, the longer they wait to implement these measures, the more in jeopardy they will be. Because by the time you realize you have transmission locally, it's too late. And, and you know, and this is one thing I'm really very disappointed in my own city, New York City. We waited too long. And even just a couple days, because the, of the exponential rate of growth, even a day or two can make a huge difference. So I really hope and pray that for the rest of the country that they learn from our mistakes, that they take these measures as soon as possible. Yeah, Sanjay, I mean, I don't understand any state that says they're not in jeopardy. It's not as if testing is statewide, ubiquitous, that, you know, there's tests at, right. uh, at you know, on every street corner. I mean, they, they just don't know. People just don't know what, what the actual numbers of people who are infected are. They, they, they don't know uh, for sure. And then what they would see, as uh, Celine, I think, was mentioning, is, is a picture that's sort of behind the curve, right? Because the, by the time someone actually gets tested, it's reflecting an exposure some time ago. It's not just affecting their state either. If people start to become sick or you have outbreaks, it affects the, probably the entire region. And then I think most importantly, Anderson, I think it's become pretty clear, anybody who's following the story, that we don't have enough of certain resources, including ventilators. You know, uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, is saying maybe we'll shift these things around to hotspots that need them. Well, if we keep adding more hotspots that need them, it's going to make the, the supply issue and the demand issue even more out of proportion to one another. So it's, it's it, by doing this, they're not just affecting themselves. They're affecting the entire country, as we've talked about. How they behave affects the entire country. It affects you and me and everyone else. So um, they, they should do it, and, and, and really they should just be told to do it at this point. I mean, we are running out of time. The models that you've looked at, that you've been citing, are predicated on the idea that by tonight, I believe by the end of this week, they said that every state 
would have a stay-at-home order. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, you know, I, I'm, I think that that means the models, the projections will be even worse as a result. Yeah, Jim Acosta, I mean, it, we're now in a situation if, I mean, again, the models that were presented at the White House, you know, based on, on all states doing this, if all states aren't doing this, those models could actually go up. That 100,000 to 240,000 figure could go up. That's exactly right, Anderson. And, you know, that has been the fear expressed by public health officials all along. We know Dr. Deborah Brooks expressed this in the briefing yesterday. She said that communities just aren't doing enough. And so, you know, I think uh, just towards the end of that briefing, the president and Dr. Brooks were pressed on whether or not the, they're still sticking with uh, these models uh, that were offered up uh, earlier this week. Uh, and they, they were sort of hedging on that answer. I, I think, as Sanjay was saying, we, we don't know what we don't know. And, uh, you know, you would think at this point, Anderson, the president would be humbled somewhat by being wrong so many times. I pressed him, you know, at one point I, I said, it's April. You said this was going to be over by April. And he says, well, it is going to be over. He's just not dealing with the reality of the fact that he's been wrong and the scientists and the health experts have been right. And he just can't grasp that reality. Jim, let's talk about the supply problem, uh, because clearly there is a supply chain issue here uh, that's been longstanding now. The president uh, blaming previous administrations for lack of supplies, and, and, and there's certainly blame to go around. There's an argument that after the swine, uh, I think it was the swine flu, I think in 2009, uh, or 2009 pandemic, that they didn't restock uh, some of the, the, the stockpiles. But that was, you know, 10 years ago. This administration has had several years and warnings, we now know, about a pandemic just like this one to stock up and supply, and, and they haven't. Um, what's the latest? I mean, I, I've yet to see some sort of breakdown of, you know, there's a billion masks coming by this date. There's X number of ventilators that will be made by the end of this month and by the next month. And I, I hear piecemeal things of like, oh, we got all these things in, you know, being made and a lot of folks working on it. Now, my thought on this, my final thought on this, this is what I see. I see these politicians, I see these doctors, I see these scientists. I see one is a man that sits in office as the chief executive officer, I believe that is the president. Donald Trump, the U.S. president of the United States of America. Donald Trump told the world he was infected by this virus. He got the antidote and he got well and here he told the world as a man by his decision of choice not to wear a mask stop right here why did he tell the world as the president that he's saying as a man that's own choice he's saying that my choice and my decision, I'm not going to wear a mask. I already did a broadcast, or I already did a speech. This is Donald Trump saying, I already did a speech. I told the world, I told America, as your president, I told you specific instructions and directions. Stay at home. Social distancing. This is airborne. Okay? 
Meaning, if you're too close to an individual, you can inhale, exhale, get this virus. So Donald Trump saying, I don't need to wear this, this mask because I have common sense as a president. I have common sense as a business individual of a business man. I have the sense to do what I am doing to stay away from people that are sick or I have the potential to get sick by this virus. So even though I been affected as America, the U.S. of A, United States of America, President, I have been affected, but I got the antidote cure and I am fine. So I know the steps to do is to stay away from people. Don't fly, stay at home. Then people are still at a panic. It's telling people and you're begging and you're telling the president that he's which he's not going to do. He's not going to do it. He said, I'm going to leave it up. I'm going to leave it to the governor. I'm going to leave it to the governors of an individual state that looks over the states of the 50 states in America. I'm going to look it over and give it to that I'm going to look it over that I looked it over at the president. I'm giving it to the hands of the governor. I'm giving it to the hands of the governor. I'm giving it to the hands of the governor to govern the state of America, the 50 states of America. I'm giving it to the governor that watches over. They're telling, trying to stress a, 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 a national, worldwide national in America, telling the president, just tell this, this has to pass. He said, I'm not, he basically said, I'm not doing that. People should have common sense as an individual person, as a black or white person. People should have common sense to do what? Stay at home. Social distancing. Stay at home. Social distancing. Stay at home. Social distancing. That's it. But people are not. People are focused on money. People is focused on money, but not even a knowledge enough to realize this is taking place for a reason to sit you down and reflect on your behavior, how you treat one another. No, it's all about money. These businesses out here is so focused on money, but not even acknowledging what is the problem, how we treat each other as human beings. No. So, people, oh, honestly, these doctors, the governor, the scientists do not know. You don't know. You still could get affected with the mask on in the first place because you touch things. You still be people still be in contact with each other. So you you still screwed up. So it's a decision to wear a mask, to not wear a mask, to wear a mask, to not wear a mask. Stay with people or do stay with. Stay with people or you don't. This 
virus is worldwide. This is the nature. I'm gonna tell you something about God. This is this is God to me. God works in mysterious ways that I believe in a deity named God that you got to understand this for me. Okay, understand this. Listen, people need to listen, which they don't. God works in mysterious ways when it comes to the senses of the forces of nature. Your Bible, that religious people, is not going to really sit down and analyze this, what I'm saying. After the fact that a CNN reporter went somewhere in the world that they're telling people stay away from the people, religious folks like Christianity still disobey India. Now, I'm going to tell you something about God and Jesus. God works in mysterious ways when it comes to nature. This is what's taking place of chest type. Now, the Bible explains to you that people is not going to agree. The Bible explains, listen to this, A, it explains. It explains on a level of one of the work of God, what he did of the product of creation, which you see today. Then he did this creation. Then the Bible, if you understand the Bible enough, the Bible always speaks of what God did. Within what God did, God gave a man named who? Named Moses to pass down the Ten Commandments. Now listen to this. If God says what he said in your word, God said, do not kneel down to other gods. I am a jealous God. Okay? A jealous I don't want you to serve or kneel down to any idols. I don't want you to kneel down to any idols or serve other gods. Only but me. If you do, I will see that as offense of emotion of jealousy. Now, if God is so wise and so powerful, a God, a deity, not mortal, if God is all supreme, best, nor knows everything, why would God, that God, we say God, God is basically authority. Why would God, so powerful, you speak God is authority. Why would God have a, a, a demonstration of a human emotion, of a feeling of jealousy? Humans some people get be jealous of other humans of what you have, what you do, whatever. That's more of human senses, of human emotion, of jealousy. Think about it. So what I am saying, the Bible explains who is God, where is God, how to find God is in within 
yourself, it's you. So people will take that and say, oh, that's blasphemy talking. What you said, you said people, human beings are God. Well, all honesty, we demonstrate God of the product of creation. So all honesty, if you understand what's taking place today, if you understand what's taking place today, that the Bible in, in Revelation talks about the four horsemen. This is the rider called Death, the Greek, that he's riding a, a horse of pestilence. So you gotta understand the Bible and read the Bible and it should come back to you in your inner man that this is, this is another man is speaking more of yourself. This is a man that fixed the book in the way so you can understand of his point of view about God. It's you. So what did Jesus say? This is the problem that Christians have a troubling time of understanding Jesus because you understand Jesus to some, to some sense of how you've been taught yeah. as a child throughout your adult life. What did Jesus say? That Christians go by what he said, but not what he really, what he said, but he did not say that what you believe. First off, when the book of Revelation that Jesus reminded you and warned you in the New Testament about what's taking place, okay? Now Jesus said in the book of Matthew, Luke, John, all that. So check out this thing of a noun saying this man Jesus is the son. First, it said the son of man. Stop right there. The son of a man. What does that mean? It means the son of a human that came forth from another human as a child of a male child that basically been duplicated as a human. The son of a man. I am a son of a man. You are a son of a man. So it's talking of saying nouns that Christians is not going to analyze because of how you've been taught that something that been changed many, many years by the kings and the queens that from Europe or whoever, because certain white people will say, well, the, the, the King James Bible was the, is, is the perfect, absolute truth of the Bible of God. No. Any Bible that's been today, original scrolls been changed so Jesus the son of man that someone says well he's the son of God wait a minute wait a minute stop right here you went from son of man and then you're gonna turn around and say he's the son of God first of all your the teaching of Jesus the real teaching that Jesus told anybody that chooses to listen to him, that anybody that chooses to follow him. The real teaching of Jesus, he said that when you walk with me, you don't go back to mama's house, you're supposed to forsake yourself. When you walk with me, you don't idolize me and put me on a high pedestal as a God beside a God. Mm -mm. When you walk with me, you're supposed to follow in this, my fellowship to follow me, not worship me when you in my fellowship as my followers of the body of Christ you supposed to do what follow me 
not worship me. Christians worship Jesus of how they've been taught to say, well, he's the son of God. He died for all mankind's sins. He took all that away. Are you serious? Is sin right now still carrying on? Are you serious? The devil's still, still running around right now. What are you talking about? You've been taught wrong. Jesus said in, in, the, in Revelation, it's going to be rumors of war. It's happening. Because the honesty Jesus was in tune about men. He also said, uh, let's see, uh, uh, he said, pestilence. All that, this is happening. And the real teaching of Jesus, he, he said to the world, he said, remember me. Wherever, I, where I go, you don't follow. That means I know my time is short by my work of what's right. And I'm trying to get people to change. I'm trying to get these pastors, reverends, and everybody to change. My time is short because I have truth on my tongue. And it's against the world what you see today that you say the internal system and things of Satan. This is what you see. Wherever I go, you can't follow me. That means because I'm going to be persecuted by what's on my tongue of the knowledge of what I know to set you free, of the truth to set you free. To set you free. So I'm going to my grave. You go keep on continuing to live on to keep the seed of what I'm doing or what I plant in you to keep this carrying on. That's it. So Jesus said, remember me Meaning what I put in you and plant a seed of the knowledge that you came in my fellowship. Remember my teaching. That's it. Who told you? After the fact, this is a human man. Who told you to believe that he's coming back? After the fact, he's been gone 2,000 years. And you go by this faith. That's how you've been taught within this faith. And this is what happened now. So this corona, coronavirus... It's taking place that I'm explaining that it's taking place to get people to see that you say is basically the end of the last days. The earth is going to be here. The system is going to be here in the way of a new world order. The earth is going to be here. People to this day that if you understand God like I do of this theology of this Bible. Is taking place of separating the goats from the sheep. Separating chastisement. So you don't understand enough the Bible that like, I understand the Bible fully and I closed the book. I understand the Quran fully and I closed the book. These books are wrote, wrote by men. So religion came forth of the power to do what? To control. Also the power to something that was changed to his own benefit of outlook of another man's opinion to pass down throughout the years. So you don't, you going by what another man taught you and you going by this and this is what happens. So the nature of things that God is in nature and but also to find God that he, you say God is everywhere. He sees everything. He's everywhere. Well, people is everywhere. So this has only been, this is this thing that's carrying on this virus is basically the nature to kill off, out with the old, in with the new. 
it will slow down eventually, but it has to take its course. Now it's allergy season coming up. That's why they tell people to stay indoors and people are not going to stay indoors. They're not going to do it because people are focused on getting paid, buying up everything. But people nowadays do not see the real agenda. It's called mankind's karma. It's called great chastisement. That's it. We're getting chastised. So you hear these business people, they're only talking about money. They're not talking about anything else. Anything else is about the dollar. So that's why that book says men will be lovers of themselves. So they are only talking about money, but they're not sitting down analyzing this whole bigger thing of what you as an individual, what you did wrong. No, because this is all about, it's about to, it's basically put forth and brought out global, global to sit human beings down long enough so you can reflect on something that you need to acknowledge and correct. They're talking about money. It's all about money. For the love of money. That's what it is. And it's, you know what? it's going to get crazy. Nature is involved. And this is nature that people do not see. They don't know. You don't know what to do. You don't know. People are getting better. That's true. But within that, people are not following directions and instructions. So this is all part of the cycle of things that the earth will be here. The system will be here. The system is more being changed and updated and reset, renewed of this whole thing of new world order. That means something's going to come forth as a dictator, as the form that you say, that you say the Antichrist. But it's coming forth of something of a belief that's in one way, one order, one system of things, no division, no dividing, no all this religious stuff, that's got to go. That's new world order. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I am Jarrell Lucian, aka Dre Watts. Until next time, exact same station, Anchor FM, Spotify, the whole entire world. I am Dre Watts, Dre Watts Conqueror. Peace and farewell. What up, Anchor? What up, Spotify? What up, the whole entire world? I am Dre Wise, Dre Wise, Dre Wise Conqueror. Follow me on my Facebook page. That is, you already know, Dre Wise Conqueror. Now, email me if you have any questions at Lucian Lucian. L-U-C-I-A-N Jarrell J-O-R-E-L at gmail.com or you can hit me up on my Facebook Messenger of course Dre Wise Dre Wise Calculate Donate 99 cent 99 cent 99 cent or more be a monthly subscriber Donate to here or donate to my cash. That is dollar sign. Lucian. Lucian. Jarrell. Jarrell7.
here on Anchor FM, Anchor FM episode, Dre Wise.